This episode of The Inner Entrepreneur is about your leadership role and how your decisions have a ripple effect on a company's culture. Recognizing your responsibility and your ability to influence your team's behavior is the first step to improving your organization. In this episode, we advise you to set non-negotiable standards, showing your team how you want them to conduct themselves and operate within the company. We also emphasize the importance of not merely rewarding or giving perks to improve behavior, but rather to set consequences for poor conduct. Ultimately, creating a great culture and strong leadership requires commitment, resilience, and the courage to sometimes make difficult decisions, including removing people that refuse to adapt to the new positive culture. So let's get into it. Welcome to The Inner Entrepreneur, a place where soul meets strategy and passion meets profit. Success in business is about more than mastering the external. It's an internal game. Ready to play? Hello and welcome back to The Inner Entrepreneur. Paul, how are you doing today, sir? I'm excellent. How are you? Good afternoon, good morning, whatever it is. Whatever it is, time's changed on us. I don't know what time it is anymore. I don't even know what day it is anymore, but I think that's because it's I got a two-year-old. In the moment, present, in it's the moment. Not. That's where we are. Well, look, I'm excited. We, we wrapped our burnout series on how to combat burnout, how to overcome burnout as an entrepreneur. We're moving into some new themes here. We're going to be discussing culture and leadership. Looks like we've got roughly three episodes based on our notes so far. Could turn into five, could be 10. Based, who knows Never the way involved. you and I get in these Never episodes. <laughs> but I'm excited to talk about it. I think as entrepreneurs, setting a culture at your company is crucial. It's really the defining factor, isn't it? And in many terms of whether you're going to succeed or fail and particularly building the life that you want. So I'm excited to dive in to culture and talk about the importance of building a successful business. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think, and I think it flows very well from the conversations we have, because often when you speak to business owners and entrepreneurs who are overwhelmed by the business and they're heading to burnout, when you dig in, it's often because of a terrible culture within their company. And that's a public culture they create. Well, it's two things. One is they're doing everything themselves. So they have no team around them and they're just, and they're just overwhelmed. That's the first thing. Well, that being the case, what they're going to have to do is try and build a team. And if they build a team, they need to understand how to get a proper culture in the organization. But if they already have a team, even if it's only half a dozen people, there's a culture within that team. And depending on how good that culture is, depends on how much pressure comes back on them, which ultimately leads them into overwhelm, burnout. And so what we spend a whole lot of time is, is what's the journey out of that? What's the journey to personal freedom where you begin to get control over your diary, control over your day and that overwhelm counts. Sooner or later, if you own a business, you have to walk back into your business and you've done all the wonderful things you've done. You, you've become aware of it. You've done the redirect. You've done all these great things, but you walk back in on Monday to your business. And now you have to create a business that will sustain what you've created. And that's going to come down to the culture within your business. Man, and that's what I'm excited to dive into because the notes that we've got in reviewing what we're going to talk about takes a lot of courage because one, it starts with us. First and foremost, it always starts with the, the leader of a company, the owner, the visionary. And then, but you do the work on yourself to your point. You still got to walk back in that business and you got to start implementing and making changes. And if you're in a state of burnout or you've been in a state of burnout for quite some time, the gap between where you want that company to be and where you are now could be large. So there may be a lot of work that you have to do on your culture in your company. And ideally, we're going to help navigate the terrain related to that component if you got a lot of work to do around your culture. Or if not, you can validate some of your culture now and say, oh, wow, okay, I'm doing some great things and we can keep doing these things as well. So it's, I think it's a bit of a, it depends on the spectrum where you fall, right? I think it, if you have a team and you have a great culture in that team, um, you probably didn't end up in burnout in the first place because you have people around you to support and carry you. If you ended up in burnout, it's probably a reflection of the culture in your organization or in your team. Unless you have a great team and you're just doing too much and you're just carrying too much, that can be a problem as well. 
but that will lead to a culture problem because if you want great people working for you and you want those people taking responsibility, if you're carrying too much and will pass some of that responsibility and some of that autonomy and authority to people around you, then you won't keep good people or you'll keep people and they won't perform at that level. They'll, they'll, they'll drop down to mediocrity because you will have set the expectation. So I think either way, you've, you've got a culture issue to address. And either way, that cultural issue is going to start with you. And the reason culture is so important is because ultimately the success of your business comes down to the quality of the people you have working for you and how well those people behave. And, and you as owner are responsible for those things. You've hired the people and you've set the, you've set the standard for how, for how they, for how they behave. And what I've observed is that how easy or how difficult a business is to run is largely down to the culture you have in that organization. Because when you have a per culture in the organization, you tend to have drama. And when you have a great culture, you don't have drama. I, I don't know if in North Carolina, you or in the US, you have soap operas. Do you have soap operas? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so we in we reality spoke, TV, which is like yeah. an, a, a terrible version of soap operas in real life. So I don't watch soap. I don't soaps. But um, imagine my shock, Paul, that you don't watch soap operas. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I can't share that with you, where you? Yeah, or what's a deal breaker? But um, <laughs> but one of the reasons I don't is because they're depressing, and mm. only during the week we were watching something in, uh, uh, on TV. And as it came to an end, my, myself and my wife started having a conversation with something. So the TV just rolled on to whatever show was playing next. And a very old, I say old, like 30 years or more, a soap in the UK called EastEnders came on. So we got to say uh, like two or three minutes of this in the bark. And a few entertaining things. One is that you could see the same characters were still there. You recognize right, from 30 years ago, which, which was alarming. Uh, but the other thing is that what you saw was that it reminded me of why I don't watch these shows because it's all drama in people's lives. It's all stuff going wrong in their lives, interpersonal issues with people who don't have to communicate properly. It's just all the mess that, that, that goes on. That's, and I don't like watching that because I find it stressful to watch it because it's just, I, 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 that's not how I want to live my life, so I don't want to watch it on TV. But when you have a poorly managed business, and which leads to cultural problems, that's what you get in your business. You get that interpersonal drama in your business. And when you create a better culture, that, dra that drama goes from the business. So what you end up with is, I mean, all businesses will have challenges and all businesses will have things to deal with. That's the nature of the business. But the question I'd ask is how much of your time are you spending dealing with internal issues and how much for what external issues? How, many, how much of your time are you spending solving customer problems, creating a better organization, providing a better service to your customer? How much, are, much of your time are you, as a leader and, and your team, are they focused on things that are going to grow your business, generate revenue for your business, all the good stuff you want to do? And how much of your time are you dealing with internal conflicts in the business? And I can be, I mean, I've never measured it precisely, but I can tell you that over the years when we had culture problems in the business, I was spending 80% of my time dealing with internal soap opera within my business, with the conflicts between people, the challenges, the drama. And I remember thinking to myself, if our time could only be devoted to creating a better business and we didn't have to deal with this, how much more effective would our business would be. So that's the reward of getting culture sorted out in your business is that you free up all this time that was drama to working on what you really want to do, which are grow your business. So that, that, that's a very big, that's a very big reward. That's a huge reward. I can say from my personal experience, Paul, I've worked in organizations 
a lot of them have been poorly ran and 80% of the focus was on internal drama, shareholder yeah. drama, ownership yeah. drama. 20% of the problems were, were focused on building a better product. How do we serve our customers better? And those companies didn't do well in the long run because they're focused on the wrong things, to your point. And you don't learn those things, though. Sometimes the difference is, and this is why I'm glad we're talking about this, is we make the assumption that all companies are like this, all cultures are bad. And we just assume that drama is a part of running businesses and, and cultures. It's not. Healthy companies do not run that way. It's a lot like parenting. In my mind, when I'm thinking about the way you have to manage your child or your children, you got to set boundaries. You need to be clear on expectations. You have to be consistent in, your, in the way you're engaging with them. And if you don't do those things, humanity's emotions run wild. And that's typically what happens a lot in companies because it takes a lot of mastery in ourselves to handle adults and all those things and dealing with the outcomes, right? The fallout of what it may be. If Particularly if you go through our burnout episode like we did our series and you come back into that company and you realize you got to make a lot of changes, which often happens, there's going to be fallout from that. So navigating that terrain can be tough. And, and I'm hoping that's what we're going to share some of your components in your company, like looking at the common problems faced by entrepreneurs and business owners, and then linking that to the direct issues that are within culture, right? So I think let's start there if we can, Paul. We've talked, the drama is a part of it, but can we, yeah. let's get a little bit in the weeds if we can, if that's okay. I think one of the, I, I'm reminded of sitting at a table about a year ago with six people, three of whom, including me, were business owners and three of whom were not. Well, a conversation starts about work and business as, as often happens. And two of the people at the table who are boat run businesses start talking about the, the problems in, in, in their business. Now, what's really interesting to me, I don't know if you've come across this, Brandon, is I, I, I've been a, on a CEO forum for, for many years, and it's about eight, 10 guys on that forum, with some ladies as well. And there's been a crew of people on that and some different people in over the years. All have different businesses, all have different businesses because that's key to being in the forum. So we're not competing with each other. The interesting thing is we've all completely different businesses, but we all have the same fundamental challenges. And most of our challenges come down to people problems. So that, that's a fundamental problem, no matter what business you're in, it comes down to people problems. So I'm sitting around the dinner table, people in different business, and a conversation comes up about the challenges they're having with people in their businesses. But the conversation I can hear is about the drama going on in their business. And other people are chipping in who are not in business, but everyone has an opinion. And so this, <laughs> but this conversation is going on and I'm the only person in the room not engaging in the conversation. I'm sitting there and I'm going, I don't get into this conversation because it's not going to end well if you go into this conversation. Because th this is the whole concept of the entrepreneur. You have two business owners there and they're focused on the problems with their staff, how their staff are behaving, how their staff are engaging with each other, how are their staff are performing or, or, or being accountable or not accepting responsibility. That th this is what's going on in the table. So the focus is all external. We have this problem and it's a problem with people. And of course, once you start that conversation, then you have another business owner there to go, oh, I have the same problems as well. You tell me your story. I'm going to tell you a story because my story is worse than yours. And other people have all worked. So people are sharing these stories. I'm listening to this conversation and I'm going, I'm staying out of this conversation because if I get into this conversation, I'm going to upset people because mm. I'm going to say the problem, you, you, you're focusing this small problem. And that's not the problem. The problem is you as a leader in this organization, you are tolerating this. Now, if I say that in the conversation, I'm going to get kickback. I'm going to get people to the fence and go, what do you, I don't tolerate that. It's just the people. We can't get good people. When they do, they don't behave. They don't get, I'm going to get all the stuff. And it's a conversation I don't want, I, I don't want to have. I'm not in a professional environment where I've been asked for my opinion. So I just said, I'm not going to give myself the grief of, ha of having that conversation. But this funny, this is the similar steps to the steps of emerging from burnout. 
if you want to change, if you want to change culture in your business, you have to start with awareness, awareness of what the root of the cultural problem is. If you're a leader, if you're the owner within that organization, bad news for you. The root of the problem is you and, the, and what you tolerate and the standard you set in your business. Full stop. That's it. Because when that changes, the culture changes in your organization. But when you say that to people, they take offense. You're saying I'm a bad leader. You're saying I'm the problem. I'm not the problem. I'm a really good leader. It's the people. It's all bad newsflash here. It's always you. It's all, it's always the leader, but people don't want to hear that. So, so that's the cold, hard truth. They don't like the cold, hard truth, Paul, the mirror. And that's the mirror too, right? Mirror into the self. You saying that I've always found that funny. And I've been a part of these same CEO roundtables, and I, yeah. I interact with a lot of entrepreneurs and they're always griping about how hard it is to hire people and find good yeah. people, but they fail to remember that they're the ones who hired them in the first place and trained them and set the standard and all right. That's to your, yeah. that's your point. There's, the you point. can't ignore that, but it's easy to say, oh, it's just the people. I gave them this great opportunity. They're just lazy or they don't listen or. Yeah. Well, that's I mean, bullshit, I mean, isn't it? <laughs> it? It is bullshit, but, but people speak in generic terms. People speak in, gen in general terms. But at the end of the day, as you say, you have to decide what the culture is in your business. So. But when I entered into the overwhelm in my life and the burnout, which led to my own awakening or awareness, but when I was in that, I had a terrible culture. I had a terrible culture in the business. Now, I will say this in my defense, because every CEO has, has an excuse. I hadn't heard, I hadn't heard, I hadn't heard of that culture in the business. And when I took over the business, there was a lousy culture in the business, but I didn't recognize it. So I ran the business for several, I ran the business for several years, not really understanding that I was perpetuating that culture. And as leader of the business, now I could change it. I could change that culture. But the real reason why I didn't, and therefore I would say that a lot of people don't change the culture is because it's a very difficult thing to do because you have to stand up and be accountable and you have to go. This is a culture we're no longer tolerating in this business. This is how the business is. This is how it's going to be. And you're not, and you're not accepting anything else. As long as you accept something else, you will get something else. As long as you accept something other than that as a very high standard in your business. I mean, I looked at my business. If I'm honest, it was an unpleasant place to work. I hated going in on a Monday morning. There was always comfort. There was always rows. There was always There was always drama. So, and that's so draining too, isn't it? For like creative, productive energy, that type of drama is so draining in a professional setting. You don't make any progress rarely on the actual business, do you? You're just you're caught in the mire of BS. It's like quicksand almost. You're caught in the mire of BS because, for a few things, you and I have a Monday morning meeting, and there's two. I, I, and, and people tend to have an agenda in those meetings. And my agenda is I have a problem, but I want to make sure that Brandon realizes he's the problem. It's not me. So wherever I communicate, it's Brandon or it's Brandon's department are the problem. It, it, it's not me. And you need to fix something. I'm not the problem here. And, and that's what you tell. I used to hate going into meetings in the Monday morning because that's what the, that's what they were all about. People were just bringing me their problems on a Monday morning and literally I used to hate the meetings in the Monday morning. It was just bringing me their problems. Of course, I accepted those problems. I took the problems on and I didn't realize, I suppose at the time that I, that, that I was the cause of it, that I was ultimately accepting that. And it wasn't until I realized that and, and I've told the story before, but it wasn't until I realized that I can't stay in this business anymore because it's hell for me. And then realizing we've talked about this before, but there's two things is a business that's hell for me, but a business that's, that's profitable and, perf and performing well financially, even if it was very, very difficult separating those two things and go, okay, can I turn it into, can I turn it into something else? The one advantage of experiencing burnout. So if someone is listening to this at the moment and they are in an extremely diff difficult situation, one of the advantages of that is that 
when they look at potentially the challenges of changing the culture in their organization, when they look at that compared to the difficult situation they're in, they go, well, I go, I'm going to stand up to this because this is hell for me. Uh, and unfortunately that could, that can be a very good, that could be a very good leverage. Hell can be motivating to leave. Yeah. Yeah. How can we motiva uh, motivate to leave? And it was for me. And so I, uh, I would see that, I would see that as a positive. So in, in very simple terms, I looked at the company and I realized, well, why do I hate going in here in a Monday morning? I hate going in there in the morning because everything was conflict. Everything was aggression. Everything was blame. And I don't know if that's something you've come across in, in organization. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's draining. So everything, everything was a problem. Every other department was a problem. Every manager's complaining about other departments fighting in the department, the staff are useless, all of these issues going on. And then thankfully, as I came out of my own burnout and came to awareness and redirected my life, I began to look in the mirror and I'd, and I'd said to myself, well, that's not the type of individual you are. You prefer calm. You prefer peace. You prefer quiet. When I interact with people, I like to do that respect. I like to do it on a friendly, a friendly basis. When we have a challenge, I don't like getting into blame. I like finding solutions. Georgie, so I began to look at all the ways in which I would like to engage in a business. And that's not for a moment saying the problems won't emerge in your business. But the question is, how do those problems emerge in your business and how are you addressing those problems when they emerge? Are you addressing them to blame? Am I storming into your office and screaming at you, Brandon, you've messed up again by your department? Or am I going and sitting down going, hey, mate, we seem to be having, the, we seem to be having these problems and together we work at resolving them. Because the problem is when I come in and attack you, you're a human being and what you do, you defend yourself. You don't go hands up. You're right. I'm a loser. I'm a failure. I'm miserable. You, you don't, you attack back and you get this constant conflict. And then no matter what I come to you with, you, you will be defensive. And because you're defensive, no matter what I come to you, I'll be in attack, on attack. And it just, this creates a cycle of this is how everyone engaged in this place. Uh, and everyone is afraid to, to try anything. Everyone is afraid they'll get something wrong. And it, it just becomes a horrible culture. And, and when I realize that's not how I want my business to be, I want my business to be something different. Then you, this is the really difficult part. Then you have to go back in and describe to people what different looks like. And you have to set a new standard. And you very much have to communicate that clearly to people and get people a very clear understanding of, of what you mean. Because if people aren't clear on that, then you can't blame them for not delivering on that. And if you're wavering on the standard and the business, so you have, you need to go into your business with a very clear picture in your mind of this is the standard and the business. And it has to be a non-negotiable standard in your business. And you can't change that until you accept responsibility for it. So until you stand up and go, whatever went on in my business, I had allowed that and I had accepted that. I may have been unaware of that, but that's what happened. I'd allowed it to happen. I'd accepted it. I tolerated it. And the only way it was going to change was when I no longer tolerated it. I no longer accepted it. I no longer allowed, but I also had to show a new way. I also had to show this is how we go. And that changing of culture is just like changing any of our behavior, any of our habits. It takes time. It's, we use the fitness example often. It's not, I go to, to the office on Monday morning and I'll communicate this. Like I'll go to the gym on Monday morning and I'll be suddenly fit. No, I now commit to going to the gym four days a week for the rest of my life. So when you go to create a new culture in your organization, you're committing to upholding that standard and to reinforcing that standard all of the time. Exactly. And I think the great thing too, Paul, about what you're describing though, is though we are the problem, the source of the problem, we're also the solution in that sense. As leaders in our organization, 
we can come in and say, you know what? I created this stinky culture or I inherited this crappy culture and I've been running it this way based on my actions and what I've allowed and how I've been engaging with my team. That can be a lot to take on, but it's also we're the answer. We're the solution as well. We have the power and the authority to change all that if, to your point, we're willing to go each day and do the work, show up, commit to the work, and commit to a better path. It's the recognition and the alternative of the path we're going to walk, isn't it? And I think that's a great pivot into the next component of what we want to talk about is how culture can be the root of success or failure and explore the dichotomy between great products and great culture, because I think sometimes that gets mixed up. And what do we need to do to start making those changes, right? If you, if you know your culture sucks right now, what do we got to do to start distinguishing the difference between those two things? Well, the most important thing is that you're aware that you're the problem. And uh, I don't know if I've relayed this story to you before, but it, so if I roll back about 20 years ago when our culture was absolutely awful. And so I'm saying about 20 years ago, because my sons, my three adult sons, I don't have four. I just have three. <laughs> I'll never be, I'll, I'll never be forgiven for that. <laughs> but an um, in infamy, an in infamy <laughs> will go in. <laughs> but so, so, so the story is as follows. Oh. It's, it's, they're all young. So it's, it's about 20 years ago, they're, they're, they're all young. And in Ireland, I think it's the 8th of December is a school holiday. So we, we, we would take the day off and we would take our kids into the city and then we would take them to see Santa and just have a, a lovely family day out, which your daughter's very young. So when did that age, it's just great time of year and it's great, it's great fun. So I was very busy at the time. I was very heavily involved with the business mentally and physically. So I, it was probably the early days of my, I, if I was in the overwhelmed box, I was in the early days, but I was unaware of it, but I certainly was in the early days. So I was fully engaged, but to me to take a day off for the family was really precious. We took the day off. We go into town. We're having a great day. We take the kids around to see the toys in the shops. We take them to Santa. We have a nice lunch. It's a lovely day we're having in town. In the afternoon, my phone rings. That's one of my managers in the phone. And he goes, sorry to disturb your day, Paul, but, and the but was there had been folks to a war in our office. Two of the sales guys had kicked off and almost gotten physical with each other. So they were screaming and shouting in the office and almost gotten physical. And I don't know if you've ever witnessed anything of that, Brandon, but it's very unpleasant for the people involved, but it creates enormous tension right through the, right to the whole company. Well, it's scary Every, when people get physical. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So they didn't actually get physical, but there was threats, you know, yeah. there, there were, it, 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 it was very aggressive, very unpleasant. So my manager gives me a call and goes, sorry to interrupt your day, but this has happened with the office. And I go, okay, do you need me to come back in and deal with this? And he goes, no, 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 it's calmed down. I said, okay, have them both ready for me, 8 a.m. in the morning in my office. I will go in and deal with this. It's okay. But when I say it's okay, it's not okay. Cause it's now messed my whole day because I have this drama. I have this drama. I'm, yeah, I'm trying to be present you know, for my wife, and my children, but I have this drama going on in my head now and I'm working on how I'm going to deal with this. And I know it's going to be the two difficult individuals. It's going to be a very difficult situation for me to deal with. The so a lot moment. of dread has set in now. You've got this cloud of dread over this wonderful day that you're having. Really is stale in the day. And I'm, anyway, we continue with the day, but I'll see this in the back of my mind. No matter what we do, I have this in the back of my mind. Get into the office, get into the office next morning. And I deal with it and I deal with it very strictly and I deal with it very sternly. Obviously make it clear to the guys that this is not how we behave and they'll have to work somewhere else if that's how they, yep, et cetera, et cetera. How I dealt with it is not that important. So it wasn't until probably a number of years later that I realized what the problem was. The problem was this. The problem was I went into the office that morning and around the whole time thinking I had one problem. My one problem was I had two difficult individuals who were fighting with each other that, that, that led to a difficult. So I assumed that was a problem because I assumed that was a problem. That's the problem I went and fixed to some degree. I did fix the problem. It, it, it was resolved, 
but I didn't fix the cultural problems in the business. I just fixed that particular problem. And hey, there were other problems with those individuals in, in, in time after. But what dawned on me and the realization, and I hope this resonates with people, is I went in thinking there was one problem to deal with. Now, now, now Keith Cunningham has a wonderful expression. He says, fixing the problem that isn't. And when you're not clear on what the problem is, you're coming up with a solution for the problem that isn't. And no matter how good the solution is for the problem that isn't, if it ain't fixing the problem, if your car is not going because you've no diesel in the tank, but you're fixing the battery, you can get the best battery in the world. It don't matter. Go. It don't matter. <laughs> I was fixing the problem that isn't. Um, so a number of years later, had this aha moment. I go, oh, I didn't have one problem. I had three problems. I had three problems that day. And in fact, the problem I was dealing with was one of those three problems, but it was the smallest of those three problems. And I began to realize what the actual problem was. And they went in order of severity. So the small problem was that I had two guys almost killing each other in the office. That turned out to be the small problem. The problem that was a bigger problem than that, but I wasn't aware of was that I had a manager who allowed that to happen. Mm. I had a manager who tolerated that. I had a manager who, in dealing with that situation in the office, put fuel on the fire as opposed to calming it down. I didn't have a manager who went in and go, oh, guys, it's, it's calmed everyone down and led to a peaceful, happy solution. I didn't have a manager with that ability. So I had a manager that created the, the drama, fueled it, and whose communication style would lead to these sort of problems. That was a big, that was a big problem. I had gone in thinking the manager was my ally, talking about how we'd fix this problem, not realizing he was problem number, he was problem number two. And of course, in realizing he was problem number two, that was a big problem, bigger problem. But then I realized the biggest problem was the biggest problem is, yeah. Have a sense who that's going to be. The biggest problem is I was the guy who tolerated this within my organization. Biggest problem is I was an individual who employed a manager like that, who, who was so blind that I didn't even realize that I was the problem, that he was the problem. And that led to staff behaving in that way. I'm not for a moment saying those two guys were perfect, but they weren't the manager and they weren't the owner of the business. And they were in an environment that was leading them to kick, to kick off. And that wasn't a hard moment for me to go, Ah, Paul, you're the problem. These people think the manager and the staff under the illusion, well, it's not an illusion, it's a fact. These people think that they can, that it's, that this is how we behave in this organization, that it's okay to behave this way in your organization. And that's what they, but that's what they believe and they behave that way. And who gave them that belief? I gave them that belief. I get, and I then went in that day, dealt the two guys, didn't deal with the manager because why would I deal with him? He wasn't the problem. Wasn't several, several years later, I realized he was the problem and how I engaged in the situation was the problems. The challenge with that, challenge with that, if that makes sense, the big challenge there is that you're going to look in the mirror. You have a really big problem. The big problem is I've got to change. I've got to become the person that doesn't tolerate that. Now I have a really effective and quite strong manager who, if I communicate that to them the day of the problem, they are never seeing that. They, do, do you mean that they, they're, they're like an alcoholic who doesn't think of a drink problem. They are, mm. you know, you're an individual who would never have possibly seen that. So if I'd communicated that to him, he would have gone, are you, makes no, would have literally, I would have been speaking Chinese to him. He would just have not understood it. So when I expanded, so it, it's much easier to win and just pull those two individuals aside and deal with them. When I expand it and I look at the real problem and go, oh, I have an enormous issue to fix in the business. I don't just have this issue to fix. And that's the problem. The acknowledging that I had an enormous issue to fix in the business was terrifying. And I'm thinking, 
people listening to this who have those sort of challenges in their business, that will be the biggest challenge for them. The biggest challenge for them will be realizing, I have created a monster and now I may have to kill that monster or I'm going to have to retrain that monster. And that's going to be extremely difficult and that's going to lead to big changes in my organization. And they're looking at that and going, that is a freaking nightmare. I do not want to go down that road. Cool. By the way, don't bother going down that road if you don't want to, but at least admit it's the road you need to go down and at least admit you're the problem. At least give yourself the courtesy of going, yes, hands up. That's the problem. But you know what? I'm afraid to deal with it because it's just too much work. Because at least if you do that, you'll have ticked the awareness box. You won't have moved. You won't have moved on from that. But at least you've ticked the awareness box. That's where it all starts, isn't it? Is the awareness piece. And I'm curious where you went from there, because we've got a distinction here, what you're describing, Paul, and how culture really matters in many ways is the defining component of success or failure, regardless of how great your products or services may be. But another piece that you're mentioning there, and I think this is really where we're leading into, is the that leaders are often the cultivators or destroyers of business culture. And, and to me, that's where we're moving into now is you are at this inflection point to where you recognize you're the centerpiece to this and you have a choice to make whether you're going to be a destroyer or a cultivator of great cult culture in your company. You said something earlier that, that, that struck me. You said it's like parenting and I think it, it, it is very much like parenting. Your daughter's really misbehaving. I know she never would, but in a fancy world, in a fancy world, she's behaving like crazy. And she's just out of order. And how you solve that problem is you go, tell you what, I'm going to buy her an ice cream because if I buy her an ice cream, she'll stop behaving badly. And you give her, and you give her the ice cream. She goes, oh, thank you, daddy. And, she, and the problem is solved. That's how people in businesses solve the problem. Why? Because that's easy. That's easy. easy. Give her an ice cream. She's going to stop crying. Don't give her the ice cream and realize Possibly you've been the problem because maybe you've tolerated some behavior from her earlier on and you go, I have a big problem to fix here, but if I don't fix this problem, it's, it's never going to be a problem. And the ice cream problem in business is where I started and that's perks. And that's, mm. and that's so when people think of culture, they confuse culture with perks in the business. So we want to improve the culture in the business. I say this not to criticize anyone. I say this because it's what I did. So what did we do? We want to improve the culture of the business. Let's have a bowling night and let's have bonuses. Let's do pizzas on a Friday. Let's put a deck outside so in the summer they can have their lunch outdoors. Let's put a basketball hoop in. Let's put a foosball table in. Let's have a medicine. And we add all these perks into the, into the business. I did it to try and improve the culture of the business. We add all these perks in and those perks are giving people ice cream, which is rewarding bad behavior. Because now your daughter's gone, if I kick off, Brandon gives me ice cream. I'm sure she's a smart girl. So she, she has this food. Don't tell me. We wrapped around her finger real quick. Yeah. Let's not let her listen to this. She'll figure that out. But isn't that, but it's not what do what, what people do. I remember hearing, I was driving home one evening and I heard a psychologist in the talk show, they have a psychologist on it and people's ringing up about children. And this lady rings up and says, my son is 14 years of age and he's behaving very, very poorly. And she lists, oh, I'm afraid of him now because he's physically bigger than me. And I was listening to this very intently because I had teenage sons at the time and the child's behavior was disgraceful. And she's asking, the psychologist, how she can fix the problem with her son. And he gives an incredibly courageous answer, incredibly courageous answer. And he says to her, you can't, it's too late. And she says, what? She says, he's 14 or 15 years of age. It's too late, too late. You needed to fix how your son treats you. You needed to fix when he was six months old or 12 or 12. You need to fix me as a baby. If your son has got to his teenage years and he's behaving that, your chances of fixing that are, are almost non-existent because you've created the monster. It struck me because I had witnessed a scene in my kitchen early, earlier that year where my eldest son, he's now almost 30, but at the time he was late teens and he was a good deal taller than my wife. 
And I'd walked into the kitchen one day and he, well, I don't know what he'd done, but my wife is giving him a telling off. <laughs> She's going at him and he's looking, he's towering down over her with the power in the room was cheering him like what he had it. like, visually, this was hilarious because this is going and pissed you off. And he's, but he's been told off by his mother. And at the end of the day, he's not speaking back because he knows he's been told off by his mother and he's not kicking off because he's learned that respect. And the, and the and that's the interesting is that that stage he had been there as a train. I respect my mother. If I step in line, my mother correct me. The fact that I am now bigger, more powerful is irrelevant. But if you miss that, it's too late. And that's what happens in businesses. We continue with the perks over and over again. We get more, we try and reward people to improve their behavior. And that's a mistake. We need to be addressing the core problems in the business. And I am um, an, an example of this. I hope I'm answering your question here, Brandon, but example of your, this was probably about seven or eight years ago in my office one morning, and maybe a little bit longer, my COO comes in and I thought at this stage we'd culture fix in the business. And he says to me in this conversation, he's a bit bothered by this. And he goes, we have a culture problem. I think we have a culture problem. And I go, oh, well, I thought we'd culture fixed, but I was a little bit older and wiser now and I understood. So I said, really? We have a culture, but yeah, and he started describing some of the problems that are emerging in the business that I thought we largely had fixed. He says, yes, this, and he explained some of the conflicts going on. So I asked him a question. I said to him, that's, uh, that's disappointing to hear, but let's work it through. I said, how's the culture in the purchasing part in the business? How's that? He goes, oh, it's great. What a great, great people. And he starts telling me all the great things they do in that department, how they get better pricing. It works really well. I said, Ooh. so there's no cultural problem in our purchaser. No, no. I said, how about finance in the same office? Oh no, they're listing true great people. So I said, mm. so no, so no cultural problem in purchasing, no cultural problem in finance. And with two sales divisions, I said, how are the, and he started talking about, start, as he's going through, he's going to each department, going, there's no cultural problem there. Look, it's great teams, great team. So then we move out to where I, I knew the, the, the problem was, and we move out to distribution and warehouses. And I go, how's the culture? Ah, this is where the problem is. And he starts laying out that this is where the enormous problem is. So in his head, I, I, I've enabled him to narrow in. It's not a, a, a generic problem now. It's a specific problem, which is very useful. And I go, okay, so it's a specific problem. And I said, you know, what's interesting to me about that. Some of those team have been with us for years. I said, I thought they were great guys. Some of those guys, some of those guys that one of the guys that was causing us a problem had literally been with us for 20 years and gone, isn't it amazing? I said, he was always such a great guy. And now he's causing us problems. This guy, we thought he was great for years, decades. Now he's causing us, now he's causing us problems. Isn't that interesting? And I asked the obvious question, well, what's changed? At this stage, he knew what the answer was himself. He's going, their new manager. And I'm going, yeah. okay. And then he has the aha moment. He goes, we don't have a culture problem in the business. We have a behavior problem with one individual. We have a behavior problem with one individual. But that behavior problem with one individual is trickling down to causing a cultural problem within his team. Because of how he's interacting with his team, He's leading to a problem in his team. And so his team, who are always good guys, are now behaving poorly and creating a cultural problem in the business. Of course, they have to interact with all the other departments of the business. Because we're a distribution company, sales and warehousing interact all day long. Is this product ready to ship? Have we got this? Can we? That's happening all day long. How the new, t how the change distribution team are engaging with our sales team is causing conflict with the sales team. And the sales team are, are responding from all these problems in the business. And so we narrowed it down to realize, to realizing that, or he narrowed it down, I say, because no point in me telling, he goes, we don't, have a pro we don't have a culture problem in the business. In fact, we're very good at culture in the business. Be one guy causing a problem. That's a much easier problem to fix. That's a much <laughs> easier problem to fix. Mm. It's still a big problem, but it's a much easier. So we now. So the solution has to be, how do we deal with this, this individual? So instead of having a, a problem that's 
that this that's this wide, we narrow it down into a very specific targeted problem. So now our conversation is how we deal with this individual. It was a difficult problem to solve, but now we were now we were dealing with one individual. So a long-winded way of answering your questions of how do we drift some towards some specifics on this. The specific starts with as an owner. So imagine you're walking back into a business and you're going back in to say, culture's wrong, we need to fix it. How is that approached? Honestly, I can only tell you how I approach it. Once I realized there was a problem and once I realized I was the problem, I owned up to that. I took ownership for that. I pulled everyone into our main office one day and I stood up. I may have had some slides ready or whatever to show them what I wanted. And I said, look guys, I'm very unhappy with the culture in this place and something we need to change. And I said, very simply, I said, guys, up until recently, I'm going to be honest with you. I hated working here. It was a horrible place for me to come into on the Monday morning. And I explained the reasons why. And I said, I don't want to work in that environment, but you know what? Nobody should have to work in that environment. You shouldn't have, you shouldn't have to work in that environment. And I'm sorry for allowing that but we're not going to have that situation anymore. We're not going to have an environment where people communicate in that way. So this is how we are going to, we're going to operate in the future. And this is the distinction between culture and perks, because I didn't say we're going to have a fuzzball machine. We're going to have ice cream with a pride in. <laughs> didn't talk about that all. I said, here is the, I think it was six points I made, I said, this is what culture looks like us. And I said, forget all the perks. Culture is how we treat each other. It's how we communicate. It's how we, that we speak respectfully to each other. I said, by the way, guys, that's my nature. When I speak to you, I want to speak to, as a fellow human being, as a member of this team, I want to treat you with respect. I want you to treat me with respect. I want everyone to treat everyone with respect. That's the new standard. We will treat each other with respect. It's how we talk to each other. Do I talk to you pleasantly? Do I talk to you aggressively? Do I challenge you? Or do we speak, do we speak well to, to each other? So I said, it's how we treat each other. It's how we talk to each other. And it's how we do things around here. So we're changing. And we're going to be a company that people that work to it, get together, that get on to, together. That's the type of company we're going to be. So you start talking about these things and um, you start talking about what the type of behavior specific. So this is the behavior you want and what's not okay. We're not going to be a culture anymore where people, where you can be abusive to people. We're not going to be a culture where you can shout at people, where you can be aggressive to people, where you can make de de demands on people. That's not how we behave anymore. We're not going to be a culture anymore where we blame uh, other people, their behavior. We're not going to be a culture anymore where we focus on the problem. We're going to be a solutions or oriented business. So when we're resolving problems now, we're going to get together. We're going to get together as a team resolving the problem, and we're going to focus on the solutions. And we're going to find a new way of resolving conflicts, and that's going to be in a positive, in a, in a positive way. And we're all going to take 100% responsibility for our behavior. We're not going to blame anyone else for our behavior and for the role we do in the, in the business. We're going to take 100% responsibility and we're going to be 100% accountable. And so I started talking about these things and, and, and it was new to people. In the early, so I have to do this, by the way, Brandon, on multiple occasions. I didn't do this one. I had to do this and people go, here we go. And you have to, so you're continually doing this and you continually make changes to the business. But that's what you, have. so that's the first thing you have to go in and you have to go, we had something that I'm responsible for, but I'm changing. This is how it's going to be now. Honestly, I did say, we're not going back to the old way. And if you don't like this way, it might be time to look for employment elsewhere. Cause this, I mean, blatantly, you just laid it out and all this, you might be time to look for work somewhere else. Cause this is how we're going to behave now. So Paul, real quick, just to, cause that's a lot of great information you shared. So you're stepping into a situation, you're recognizing that something's broken in your culture. The first thing you're going to do is you're going to take ownership. You're speaking to your team and you're going to say, first and foremost, these things are no longer acceptable. Being disrespectful, being aggressive, 
not taking responsibility, blaming other people, all of that stuff that we were doing before, you're recognizing it, you're pointing to it. Now you're saying that's no longer acceptable. And then now you're also setting the stage to start driving a new path, which is the new way of operating and the new culture that's going to be set. And something that I think is important, too, that I wanted to mention earlier, because with the perks, the rewards, it's funny how parenting and running businesses are very similar when you think about a lot of this, because you said it earlier, you can't reward bad behavior with rewards. There has to be consequences and perks in many ways are rewards. And if you have poor behavior happening in a company, and all you're doing is throwing perks at it, you're only validating that the bad behavior is okay because people respond to actions. They don't care what we say, but adding perks, foosball tables, bowling nights, those are actions that the company, that we do as leaders and owners, we set the stage. So we validate good behavior or bad behavior based on our actions. So you don't get rid of bad behavior with rewards slash perks. Just like I'm not going to get my daughter to stop being a brat by giving her an ice cream cone. She's got to have consequences for her behavior, usually taking away something that she wants or having her be in an uncomfortable situation. And Paul, I think that's what a lot of us struggle with is wanting to be nice, wanting to be liked. We don't want to set consequences to people's bad behavior, particularly in business. And that's a challenge to that, isn't it? Saying there's consequences now to behaving that way. That may be you lose your job. That may be many people lose their job or whatever it is based on the fact that you're not honoring and operating in a way that we find is the way that we need to operate as a company and the way we want to move forward. I think you nailed it entirely there. And what you said is that, but you said the, you have to, there has to be consequences for your behavior. So what you're saying is when people behave badly and you do the whole perks thing, what you're saying is you're behaving per- badly and I'm trying to coax you. I'm trying to coax you into behaving properly. Oh, please behave properly. I'll give you more money. I'll give you the ice cream. I'm trying to coax you into behaving properly. Please behave properly. Yeah, I mean, I mean zero chance. What needs to happen is the opposite of going, Here's how it is in this organization. If you'd like to work here, newsflash, this is how we do things. Your choices, do them or sod off. Mm. Work here, this is how you behave or don't work here. Honestly, you, it's your choice. But if you want to remain here, you work this way. It's non-negotiable. Now, I'm not asking you to consider this and decide. I'm saying when you walk into the door of my company, when you walk into my company, this is how you behave. What you get to decide is, do I want to work here? That's the only choice you get to make. And by the way, you don't make that choice. I will make that choice for you. Don't do it. be under no I will make that choice for you. And it's, for me, Brandon, it became non-negotiable. Now, it was difficult, but it became non-negotiable. I consider myself a nice and easy guy to work for. So that's hard, isn't it? That's hard to do. Yes. That's very hard to change. But you also said you want to be liked, you want to be nice. To be honest with you, really care. I don't think much about whether the people that work for me like me or not. I know I'm a good guy, but I imagine a lot of them do because I I treat them well, I treat them fairly, I pay them out, all of these sort of things. But my God, they know that there's behavior that is not acceptable and it is not. That's why respectability, Paul, sorry, real quick, is more important as a leader than likability. And that's the point I was trying to make is we often get into, right? You got to throw likability out, but respect is what matters. And that's why, but ironically, you will get liked often when you are respected, but that's a, it's like a byproduct. But anyway. But see, here's what, here's what's happening. You're going to go, this is the standard. This is how we do things here. It's non-negotiable. Some people will leave. New mm. people will join. You'll become good at getting new people. You'll be very clear with new people that this is how we do things. And you end up having people in the organization who stay there because they like this. I do not have to beat people to, to behave well in my company. I employ great people who love to work, who, who love to work there, who are doing jobs they're good at. I treat them very well. I pay them very well because they're good people. I, I don't pay them so they behave in a certain way. It's of their nature to do the jobs they do very well. 
But if they do it, I should reward them very well because they're contributing to the profitability of the business. I want to tail back to my Christmas story. So about three, four years ago, whenever COVID hit, and in Ireland, we had a lot of lockdowns. I don't know, I don't know what it was like in, in the US. Maybe not as strict. We had lots of lockdowns. So depends on the state, I, to be honest. But yeah, there's a, but anyway. So we, we, we strict lockdowns here. What's this? 2020 or something? So I'd yep. go to my office one day and my CEO said, would you come in and speak to the staff? Because we don't know what's going on. We, we don't really know what's, it, what's ahead of us. So maybe just come in and talk to us. So I came in one morning, called, got the staff together <clears throat> in our warehouse, because we're trying to keep some, some distance. And I said, look, rather than this difficult situation, it's month by month because the government were going, this is what we're doing for the next four weeks. So I said, no changes to the business for the next four weeks. But if these lockdowns continue and our business is closed, we're entering in some very difficult situations. We may have to look at shorter hours, cutting pay, all of these things. I didn't know what was coming out. I didn't know if our business was going to be closed for two years. Nobody knew. So I go up and I give a very honest, because I'm very honest with the staff, but difficult state of the nation to the staff going, I don't know what's ahead, but here's where we are. Of course, the positive also is in gold. We're a cash-rich company. We've no debt. So if I didn't going to survive this, we're a great company. We will, but I don't know what's ahead. I, don't, I, I, I can't tell you that. So they left not knowing that I didn't know, but know where we were, but not knowing what was ahead. Interestingly, 20 minutes later or so, I go back to my desk and a couple of emails in directly to me from staff, all saying the same thing. One of those emails was from one of the guys who'd been fighting that day. 20 years earlier, he probably didn't remember, but one of the, one of the guys has been fighting that day and causing so much trouble is an emailing from him with a number of other key people in the business, not managers from the business, staff from the business who, and, and the email basically the same thing and the base email basically said, Paul, we know this is very difficult for you. We know this is very difficult business. Whatever choices you have to make, we have your back. That was quite a big choice. That they had There's no, no idea better what, thing to get right as a leader in a company. That's it. We have your back. So, I mean, there is a transition and, and that's the shift that happens, but it has to become non-negotiable. And so back to my story with the COO and identifying a particular individual. So the two key things that someone's going to have to start with is getting to a point where it's non-negotiable that it, by the way, you will be challenged. I was challenged. I had managers tell me, well, this is great. Everyone's nice to during now, but none's going to get done. So I, I was being challenged. It was extremely difficult for me because you'd seen your people go, no, we don't want that. We want the culture the way it was. And so you will be challenged. That's really difficult. So you have to be, you have to be determined because you will have battles and you will lose people. Honestly, it's a story for a different day. But at one stage, I had a management team of five people. And over a period of about a year, two years, I got rid of four of them because mm. I realized that four of them, one of them has remained and now runs the business and the other four are gone. But I realized that I had a standard and they didn't meet that standard. So your standard has got to become the non-negotiable. Standard becomes a non-negotiable. This is where it is. I don't care. I'm, it's non-negotiable. And people will realize that is non-negotiable. They'll, they'll back up for a while, by the way. There'll be a lot of battling. Eventually, they'll realize they're hitting a brick wall. It's non-negotiable. They'll explain to you all the reasons why you're wrong. It'll change nothing. They will eventually, two things will happen. Either they will leave you or you will leave them. One of those two things will happen. And that's terrifying. But that's back to the story of, of, of my COO and, and deciding as one individual, you will change your culture in the business. You will have to talk. You'll go, this is, a, this is going to be an ongoing conversation with people. And then what will emerge is the people in the business who are not having it. They're not the having bad it. Bad fits. Yes. Because by their behavior, they're controlling you. They're controlling mm -hmm. you. Right. By the way, if your daughter knows she behaves poorly and she gets ice cream, she's controlling you. She's not running yep. the family, Brandon. She, you're not running the family. She is. She is. And yep. that's, that's what happens with people in the business. You're not running the business. They are. And what happens is when you change the culture, they realize, oh no, Paul's running the business. 
we're not running the business. And so they will battle. They will show you how it's going to be a failure. They will tell you all the reasons why this is not going to work. They will cause more problems for you. You, you uh, hold still and they leave or you remove them from the business. So you set the non-negotiable standard for your culture in the business. And then you have to face up to removing the people who won't change. Like that, so you, like that day, myself and my COO realizing that our ops manager had to leave the business because it wasn't, he was a problem in the business. That's about, I, I'm going to say separate years ago. It's, interestingly, we put a new guy in, we selected a new guy. He's great. But once we put a new guy in, culture in that team, with the same team, by the way, changed enormously. Everything that was a problem. No, that was a problem. He came to solutions. We used to have regular meetings with the other managers to deal with all those problems. We stopped having the meetings once we got the new manager because he was coming and going, well, well I don't have any problems. Yeah, I had all these things and I fixed them all. It was just a completely different environment. Oh, it's the so best got, though. <laughs> it's yeah. the best when you got leaders yeah. coming in and being like, solutions, yeah, I, it's good. I, what's the big deal? I sorted it. I, I sorted it all. But the, the issue is you're going to have to be willing to, you're going to have to be willing to lose people until in your own mind, you get to the state of mind where you're willing to make your culture more important than some of the people you have in the business, it's not going to change. So you have to have the conversation, the culture change, the conversation, you have to hold firm to it and you have to identify the people who won't change. You have to be willing to remove those from your business. So Paul, that's going to be the, that's big enough yet, but that's, no, it is. that's the two specifics you're going to have to, you're going to have to address. And, and we're going to move it. It's very tough. And I think that's the, the I'm, I love that you're saying this because it's the harsh reality of what you have to do. You have to set the non-negotiables, the standards yeah. of what your culture is, and then you have to be willing to draw a boundary and set consequences and ultimately fight for that culture until yeah. you root out the people that are unwilling to change. And so, but knowing that if you know you're going into a bit of a fist fight, you can prepare for it. That's the important thing. That's why we don't want to sugarcoat anything on this show because it's a reality and these things if you're in a bad cultured situation and you're the leader of a company, you got to have to roll up your sleeves and, and duke it out a little bit, at least, especially early on. And so, Paul, I think that's a great stopping point here. We have some other pieces for this outline of this episode that we're going to punt to the next episode because I think there's some depth that we're going to get to on around the pillars of a great culture and diving into solutions versus problems and how to actually start layering some of that stuff in at a company. Because I think this episode is a great tone setter for where people may find themselves if they're in a crappy culture. Like it's just a lot of toxicity. And I think a, a large piece that's a thread through here is you need that inner fortitude. That's why this show is called The Inner Entrepreneur because it's not easy, man. Like people are going to challenge you. They're going to push back. They're going to argue with you. They're going to do all kinds of things. And you're going to have to make hard decisions as a leader of a company. That inner fortitude is crucial if you're going to successfully navigate these situations. I, I, I think it, I think it points to the inner entrepreneur more than anything, more almost more than any other conversation we've had because yeah. we're really into practical business things here. You have to do, and I've gone through this. And I've come at the other, I've come at the other side of it, and I've spoken to many people on that journey, and a small few who have come at the other side of it. The really hard part is becoming the person who can do it. And we've said this all along in the entrepreneur journey. It's not the techniques. We can list the techniques. Great. The really hard thing is, can you in your heart and soul stand there and know without, I am immovable. This is non-negotiable. I am immovable. This is non-negotiable. Because when you say that, nobody, everybody in our company knows I'm a very easy going. I'm a very nice guy. I don't lose my cool. I never raise my voice, but everyone knows if culturally you step out of line, gone in an instant, you're going to be gone. They're the rule. But unless you have that inner fortitude, that inner strength, that inner certainty, you can't communicate it. And that's the inner work. And I, I'm going to encourage people to start with the inner work. Because you don't want to step into the outer work and step back down and fail. Because then the second time you go, it is harder. You need to get that inner fortitude right and go, this is the road, this is the road I'm on. Um, and that is difficult. So it's completely doable. 
And it's a wonderful thing to do because really what you're dropping in is you're dropping into your own truth as a human being, as an intermediary going, this is who I am. This is how I want my business to run. I don't care if the business is twice the size or half the size. I want authenticity. This is who I am as a person. I'm living this way and I'll see what happens. That in, the rewards that will come from that are enormous as a human being, as a person, with your happiness, your contentment, your, your fulfillment, your self-awareness. But it's difficult. It's going to be a challenge. And it is what the Inner Entrepreneur podcast is all about. And I think for a listener, they will scour the internet and listen to lots of people talking about culture and they will hear all the how-tos and they won't hear people having night, having night tends to conversation about the who am I that does, and that's the conversation we're having in, but nothing will work without that conversation in my humble opinion. That's amazing, Paul. Truthfully, the wonderful thing is though, is as challenging as this work may be, there's nothing more fulfilling and there's no greater success to create in the world than that, which truly resonates with who you are from within and living true to that and honoring that in every interaction that you have in your life, your personal life, your professional life, the customers, it ripples out. You can't, there's not enough you can say about the impact that it can have, but it's one of those things that's unseen and subtle and can go unnoticed if you don't know what to look for. And that's what I'm excited about the show that we're doing because we're focusing primarily on that, but also helping to define separate paths or alternatives to what a great culture may look like, what strong leadership looks like, having inner fortitude as a leader. We wanna set the stage for those components so people understand what they're aiming for. Because I think what happens a lot in our world, Paul, is we're told what not to do, but we're not shown what is the things to do. We're not given the great examples. It's always don't do this, but what do I do? This episode was primarily a lot about what not to do, toxic culture, bad things that are happening, and what can be problematic in companies, where it all comes back to us as leaders. And I think in the next episode, we're going to dive in more and defining what a, a healthy culture looks like, setting the foundations of that, because it all ties back to, again, the inner components, doesn't it? Yeah. It's not what to do, it's who's going to do it. And, and, and it's will you have that courage to do it. And, and every conversation we have about business, personal growth, entrepreneurial, becoming something more, which is the entrepreneurial journey, bottom line, it's creating the life you want to live, it's becoming more than who you are. It will always come down to, do you have the, do you have the vision for the life you want to create? And when have you the courage to stand up and become that person? Fundamentally got to come down to that. That's what's going to come down. Well, come with us on this journey and find that courage within, because that's what the entrepreneur is about, isn't it? Please do. And fix well, subscribes. Awesome, you do not miss any of these wonderful episodes. Yeah, Don't whatever platforms you're listening on. If you're on yeah. YouTube right now, please subscribe to the channel. If or you're on Spotify, Spotify wherever. wherever. We're going to be on Apple iTunes. We're going to be on Apple Podcast soon. We're going to be soon, on Google, all that stuff. Yeah, we're yeah. in the throes of the tech gods at this point. It's but early we'll, we'll days, get there. early days. So it thank is, you for listening. We really appreciate the time. And I trust it was some value in that. Well said, Paul. I appreciate you as well. And for our listeners out there, we'll catch you in a week. See you next time, y'all. Take care. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to The Inner Entrepreneur. If you found value in our content, please consider liking, sharing, and subscribing. New episodes will be released every Thursday at 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We appreciate your attention and take care.